Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. The conversation around work is a hot topic. The pandemic changed the way many employees think about their jobs. Workers want more than job security or snacks in the break room. They're looking for a work culture that helps them drive and thrive. Joining us today to talk about building a great company culture are Mark Babbitt and Chris Edmonds. They co-authored a book on the subject called Good Comes First, How Today's Leaders Create an Uncompromising Company Culture That Doesn't Suck. Chris and Mark, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Jeffrey, thank you for the opportunity. Thrilled to be here. Hey, thanks so much. It's good to have both of you here. I guess I guess the first question has got to be, you know, the real big question is about how do we create an uncompromising culture that doesn't suck? First of all, I, I have to tell you, we never once for even a microsecond thought that a major publisher would let us use that title. And yet here we are. <laughs> it's on the cover. So, and it comes from, I coach baseball. And when some, when one of my players does something really well, I go, well, that doesn't suck. It's my form of a, of a compliment. So now how do we get to the uncompromising part? That's the hard part because Jeffrey, you know this already, but every time we tolerate an undesirable behavior in the workplace, workplace, we're compromising. We're, let's just say we have the, the best salesman in, in, on the floor, but he's a total jerk and he's a sexist. And he, you know, he goes to the gym for an hour and 45 minutes every day while everybody else is working their butts off. Well, that's a high performer, but that's not a high values match. And we're compromising by having that person on the floor. If I can add, Jeffrey, what is key, and we've learned this, we've been doing this a long time, and helping senior leaders who basically invite us in to say, our culture is not really very good, right? This issue happened, or we have a great resignation right in front of us. We are losing talented people, which is pretty darn common here in the last year. And, and our focus is results are always going to be important. But if you actually build a culture that's based on people being treated with respect first, then the results absolutely skyrocket. And we've seen it time and time again. And so what we want to do is help leaders understand that, yes, their job is to formalize results expectations and then hold people accountable. But second, formalize respect expectations. And then model it, coach it, measure it, mentor people who may not really get it or align to it and celebrate it. And, and that's where the uncompromising culture comes from. People feel respected and they give their all. I hate to say this, but I see a little gray hair here when I'm looking around at the cameras between all three of us. All right. A lot of gray hair. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we had a different kind of aspect to our work culture. We used to do it together. Yeah. Now there's this work from home kind of thing that we're starting to see a great deal more. How has that changed the culture? Is it for the better or for the worst? It's interesting. I think what we found, Jeffrey, over the last 18, 24 months is that leaders tried to basically force fit the old way of thinking about everyone around the, you know, kind of quote conference room table, because I have to yell at you because you've not been performing well, right? And now there's no conference room table there. It's not easy to do there. And so the whole 
structural dynamic had to change. And those leaders that figured this out understood that everybody's got different demands at home. Some have got kids at home. Some have got kids that are trying to learn on iPads at home, right? They're trying to share bandwidth with mom and dad or partner, right? Who's got these video calls going on all the time. Some are dealing with elderly parents. Some are dealing with a variety of demands that because they're not at the office, they're not away, they're much, much more in their face. And so leaders who've said, oh, no, no, you're at work. And by the way, you're working and I want you to respond to emails 24-7. That's not fair. And so people working from home are thinking, okay, I really like the autonomy, but I need a leader that's going to give me a break. There's times when I need to go to, if I may, Mark, your almost 15-year-old son, going to baseball practice at six in the morning and sometimes back again at six at night. And Mark and, and his wife, Deborah running JW back and forth because JW doesn't have a car yet. Well, in an environment where a boss is not being trusting that you're going to do the best you can under all the increased demands upon you, then that's going to depress people, frustrate people, cause people to disconnect. So is it better or worse, though? Jeffrey, it's better for a lot of people. Here's where it gets worse. And it's happening in real time right now. Is A lot of old school managers, most of them not only have gray hair, but most of them are male, are Mm -hmm. now saying, guess what? The pandemic's finally starting to subside and Mm -hmm. forget all that freedom, autonomy, and trust that we shared over the last two years. Get your butts back to work. Yeah. And there's there's the great resignation in a nutshell. People are going, no, I like taking care of my four-legged kids. I like being here when my kids get home from school. I like being here for my mom who's 84, right? I No, I'm not going back. 4.25 million more people after 48 million left last year. The numbers just came out for January. 4.25 million people quit their jobs in January. And it's because our culture that has been the new normal they don't want the leaders don't want that to be the next normal. And there's there's a problem there. We're calling it the great resignation. Frankly, it's more of a quiet revolution. A lot of times we'd say, hey, it's getting back to the new normal, right? I mean, everybody thought they were going to get back to the new normal, whatever that was. And yeah. a lot of people, I think a lot of managers thought, well, we're just going to go back to the office. We're going to rubber band it back and we're going to just snap back the way it used to be. But I think once you've opened that door and you show people what they could get, it's really changed the way those expectations have come to be a part of the table stakes, right? Absolutely. So we we call it that employees have a choice and now they have a voice. And many are walking, right? That's the choice that they're making. But what, what's interesting is that leaders have to understand. And Mark and I, when we started writing this book almost four years ago, our focus wasn't on pandemic. Of course, that was the farthest thing from our minds. It was on generations and new generations and younger generations, and in essence, industrial age thinking of command and control, autocratic, my way or the highway, you're lucky to have a job. All of us have heard these things. And in fact, at some stage, we may have, we're old enough that we may have parroted those things. And our focus was, how do we make workplaces work for these younger generations who are not going to put up and tolerate toxic behavior, toxic colleagues, crappy bosses, crappy, unfair pay practices, promotional practices. So our focus was way back then 
that leaders, boy, if you're going to stick with the mindset of kind of classic industrial age thinking, you're in big trouble. And the pandemic, we believe, just accelerated that. Well, I like that phrase, industrialized thinking, classic industrial. It makes me sound very old. I, I tell you what, you talked about generations. I want to come back to that right after this break. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we are back and we're on All Business with Jeffrey Hazard right here on C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV, the world's largest business podcast network. And of course, the largest OTT network. That means over the top for all those folks that are that classical industrial age. Okay. I'm teaching you new things, new dogs, learning new tricks here. Now, I like to say, Chris and Mark, that I am a millennial trapped in a baby boomer's body. Okay. But we all know that's not really true. I try to be hip. I try to be good. I try to adapt just like those millennials do. So tell me about millennials and Gen Gen Z. How have they changed things? You talked about generations before we took the break. Tell me about those two generations. Even before the pandemic, Jeffrey, the millennials and Gen Zs were setting new precedent. Us old guys, many of us suffering from boomer male syndrome. That's the phrase we use in the book to describe the old school leadership. The younger generations come along and say, I'm not happy here. I'm not staying. Well, as you said earlier, Jeffrey, we came from a different generation, right? Heck, like my, be, my beat your, dad, yeah, my, we would beat our boss in. My job was right, to beat my boss in, right. right? I was, you know, to be there as early as possible and leave after the boss left. That's how what we were taught was the right thing to well, do. Well, and there's still some of that until yeah. they start to disengage. And then they say, mm-hmm. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find a better boss, a better job, a better company, better culture. And for a long time, 2005 through 2019, we called them job hoppers. We thought of them negatively. Now, since the pandemic, we have 62-year-old women saying, I've been here 2.3 years, it's time for me to leave. Because they're following the precedent of their coworkers. Wait a minute, they actually want to be happy? Who the hell made that okay? And so Gen Xers and boomers, they're falling right in line now. No, no, no. I want to feel fulfilled at work. I want to know my work makes a difference. I want to contribute to a thriving culture. And I'm not doing that here. I'm leaving. And at 62, they're walking out the door just like 22-year-olds are. Yeah. If I can add to that, one of the interesting things about, let's call it pre-pandemic by three or four years, is the digital nomads, the millennials choosing to live anywhere they wish around the globe, that a digital office literally could be your smartphone or your, your tablet or, or, or your laptop, but you could live anywhere and work for any organization. And some, some of it was project-specific work, but in a lot more cases, it was, this is the life I've chosen. I want to live in Rio de Janeiro, and I'm going to work for a company in Tokyo for a year and then see how it plays out. So all of a sudden, the classic industrial age thinking of everyone's here under one roof, I must show them who's in charge. All of that went out the window and it became a huge, huge mind shift for leaders to say, I can't think about you know pretending they're all under one roof anymore. They're not. And they're motivated by different things and they can work any stinking place they want. And so I think that interesting digital nomad influence was amazingly accelerated in the pandemic. So we've got leaders who are not sure what the heck to do, not sure at all whether or not anything like normal is ever going to come around again. 
and they're scared. I would be too. And so a little bit of of what we're trying to say is there's some smart things you can do. It's not that complex, but literally our accountability model says that if you want to change the culture of your organization, senior leaders, you have to model it, measure it, coach it, celebrate it, and sometimes mentor people so that they do align to the respect demands that you have. And if they can't do that, you have to lovingly set free. It's a very interesting approach. How's an old dog, how's somebody supposed to know what the rules are? It seems like we're changing the cultural rules and making them up as we go in order to accommodate what was typically a younger workforce, but a different workforce. Let's just call it a different workforce. I mean, what's the rules? What are we supposed to do? That's the best question we've gotten in a long time. And here's why. When it comes to culture, there were no rules. The culture was incidental, maybe even accidental. It might have taken on the personality of the CEO or the founder, but then the CEO leaves, the rules change again. So there were no rules when it came to culture. It was never intentional. Nobody ever sat down and said, we're here to make money, of course, that's important or we won't be here anymore. But what else do we stand for? What won't we stand for? How can we make our communities better? How can we make the lives of our, not just our customers, but our employees and our contractors and our candidates better? And once we define those rules and the rules are built around the concept of doing good, good for the employees, good for the vendors, good for the community, good for the planet, perhaps. Well, now we can go about our work in a very intentional way. And the other great thing about this is now the CEO leaves. And by the way, CEOs are leaving every 2.8 years now. Then the culture, the culture is still there because we yeah, C- CMOs, CMOs used to leave every exactly eighteen right. months. Now a little bit, they've extended a little bit longer. You you, t- you talked a little bit about good. I want to take a quick break. Come right back then. I want to talk about your four pillars. So I'll be, take a break and I'll come right back. C Suite Radio. All right, everybody, we are back, and this is all business with Jeffrey Hazen. I'm talking to Chris Edmonds and Mark Babbitt as we're talking about all things good comes first. We were just talking about good. Mark had just mentioned good. You got to have good. I've always said, hey, great companies, hero companies put people above profit. And we're starting to see in this book, and we're starting to see across the board, people bring out the nature of humanity. You got to be human in what you're doing in work. So you talk about good, Mark and Chris. What is the definition of good to you? And you also mentioned four pillars. Can you talk about those? Yeah, absolutely. I want to start, if I can, with, with what we call our foundational principle, which is that you need to expect results and demand respect. So if you have respect happening first, people feeling validated and in essence respected for their ideas, efforts, and contributions every day, then they're going to solve problems. They're going to work more cooperatively together. They're going to share information, et cetera. So the foundational principle of the book and this whole, let's call it movement, is respect drives results. Yeah. Talk about the four pillars. What what are your four pillars? The four cornerstones deliberately lay on top of the foundation that, that Chris just described. And my favorite of the of the four, because we just talked about We have to make the lives of our customers better, our employees better, our community better, is use our voice for good. And within that cornerstone, we're trying to give CEOs permission to care about something other than making money or increasing market share or improving shareholder value. And and we're trying to invite them into what we think is the real world now. 
turn on the news at any time and you see not just war today, but social injustice and undemocratic internet access. And there's all these issues that are pervasive. And here we are, we're, we're giving CEOs $40 million bonuses, but we don't help our schools get internet. It just makes no sense to us. So this is a, a big part of good. And, and we're very careful to say we can't define good for you, but we're also saying with within this cornerstone, it can't just be good for you. It can't just be good for the company. It's got to be good for mankind. Everybody. In your community, because you serve that community. I mean, I talk about this, you know, as a hero culture, you've got to have great values. And the companies have great values. They actually gross more money. They make more money than any other company in, the, in their industry. They have happier employees and more engaged customers. I mean, everything across the board. And when they walk through that community, everybody points at them and said, there goes a hero CEO. There goes a hero company. You, you mentioned there's a hero company you guys talk about in the book, WD-40. Ed Gary Ridge, the CEO. Now, Gary's been on my show before. I love him. He's a, an amazing Aussie who's transplanted here in the U.S. But tell me a little bit about what about WD-40's culture sticks out for you. Well, there's two pieces, and and um, I've known Gary a long, long time, and and he's been so supportive of of our process. And their tribal culture, he calls it, is built upon very clear values. And there's a couple of values that that I love, and and one is based on his philosophy of everybody can get an A, which means you can have people learn how to produce and how to be good team members only if you train them, only if you expect that, only if everyone around them is serving their peers in the same way. Uh, Gary also talks about learning moments. We don't make mistakes here at WD-40 Company. We have learning moments, which means as soon as a mistake happens, I need to share it so no one else makes that same mistake. You can make new mistakes, but you can't make the same one over and over. And that hits two different of our pillars. One is behaviors and performance, meaning that you have to define what you mean by values aligned. You have to define what you mean by this is what living in the WD-40 tribe means. And they have very clear behavioral values. And what we then teach is just as leaders have to measure performance traction to expectations, you have to measure values traction. One of the examples I use is that, that many times our clients will say, well, we want to have an integrity value. Well, what do you mean by that? What's that going to look like? Well, everybody knows what it means. Oh, no, you ask 20 people, you'll get 40 different answers. So you have to describe exactly what you mean. So one of the behaviors we often coach is, I do what I say I will do. Crystal clear, it's everyone's responsibility, not we. It means I do. And it means if I sign up for that behavior, I have to make promises clearly. I have to follow up. I have to actually deliver or explain why not. All of a sudden now we've moved integrity and aspirational value to a tactical way that I treat others with respect. It also gets to our cornerstone around servant purpose, which is Gary wants a, a, a wonderful experience, a positive experience by everyone who uses any of their products at any point in time, anywhere on the globe, any point of time of the day. And so servant purpose is how are you serving others? To what end are you toiling? To what end do all these market share results, profits really serve others? And, and WD-40 is a, is a poster child for that. And I think that's just unbelievable to be able to outline those mutual conditions of satisfaction. You also talk in your book about organizational constitution. What is that? 
Yeah. This is Chris's uh, brainchild. This is what brought me to Chris. Chris, what, uh, 2013, 2014? Is despite the fact that I'd been in the culture and leadership world forever, nobody had had, had a mechanism to formalize how we work, how we think, what it takes to belong here. And the organizational constitution is kind of a, everything we've talked about during this podcast is included. It's values and behaviors. And specifically, how do those behaviors tell us whether you're living those values or not? And there's not 30 of them. There's three to five values and three to five defining behaviors that tell us if we're living those values. And then, of course, we have to marry that to our servant purpose. What are we doing here besides making money? And finally, because, again, we're not just saying we have to have an ultra-respectful workplace, kumbaya, let's all sit around the campfire and play guitar. No, we have to drive results. So we have to tie the servant purpose and the values and behaviors to strategies and goals. How are those two things going to help us achieve the third? And how is the third going to help us achieve the first two? And the organizational constitution, sometimes just a two-page document, but, and this is what I love about when Chris came up with it originally, it is literally a constitution. I mean, how many times in the news in the last five or six years have we heard the phrase, that's not that's unconstitutional? Well, if a company has this two, three, five, ten-page document, and a leader can look at that and go, we're not living up to our own constitution right now. Our behaviors did not match what we stand for. That's not okay. We compromised, and that's not okay. You make everybody put their John Hancock right on the constitution there? We do. We've had we've had the classic mural in a conference room. This, of course, is in the days of most people under one roof. But we've even had a, a company last year do it entirely virtually because no one was in the office. Yeah. Does a, quote, physical signature mean I'm really going to sign up for this? And the reality is it's your actions and your behaviors every day. And it's why we say you got to measure this. We actually conduct formal surveys for formal leaders in, in our clients' companies so that their direct reports can rate the degree to which their leaders are modeling these behaviors twice a year. And all of a sudden, now you not only have performance data that could be stunning, but if they're a jerk, if they lie, if they harass, if they bully, that's going to come out in these surveys. So it's a pretty powerful tool. We got a lot of things from this today, guys. I really appreciate it. You got to be able to put the good first, right? That's what's got to come first. So figure out the good. Go rush out and buy this bestseller from Chris Edmonds and Mark Babbitt. It's available in your local bookstores and available online. Don't forget to get it. Good comes first. Thanks so much for joining us today on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about the things I learned. I enjoyed the conversation talking about things around values. And I think that's the key part. If you want to be good, you got to put it first. It's just exactly like the book said. And to be good, you have to really outline is what you're all about, who you are, what do you want to do, what problem you're solving. And it's always around those values, those key things that really drive what you want to be when you grow up. And so that's what I took away today was a reassurance that, hey, at least I'm on the right track because I like to focus on values all the time. And are we doing what we say we're going to do? And it takes more than just a signature, as he said, on that organizational constitution. It takes more than you, John Hancock. You got to get out there and practice it every day and live live the dream and deliver on that dream every single day. That's what a brand's all about. All right. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. 
I hope you'll tell your friends all about the show and all about C-Suite Radio, C-Suite TV. And don't forget to listen in next week. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.